Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. A couple of weeks ago, I used the rhetorical device of, hey, my sermon has a problem. And I wanted you guys to try to play, you know, kind of where's Waldo with the problem with the sermon. Um, I had a problem with my sermon this morning, but it's not a rhetorical device. Um, I wrote uh, and manuscripted, which I don't always do, but I do every once in a while. I manuscripted a full sermon on Mark 13. No, I did not have technical difficulties. Uh, It is right here on my tablet. I could preach that sermon today. Uh, if I needed to do that. But um, this morning I woke up, started thinking about this sermon, and uh, something in me uh, said, not today. Uh, This sermon isn't for you today. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, I I find it presumptuous sometimes when people say with certainty, hey, this is God. Um, I think so. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. Otherwise, I would just be preaching what's from there. But uh, ultimately, the fruit will be the judge. Uh, of, of whether this is of God or not. Um, I was thinking through this passage in Mark 13, uh, and I thought, you know, uh, this is difficult. It's eschatology, right? End times stuff is difficult, uh, but I felt like I had a good grasp on it. And it's not that I, I don't feel like I have a good grasp on the passage. It just does not seem right today. Um, and so at, at 7 o'clock this morning, I came to this conclusion. Um, I have had zero prep time since then. Uh, so uh, I do know where I want to go. Um, instead of Mark 13, uh, I'd like to take us to Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. Um, when I was praying about what I should preach instead, uh, the thought of uh, pe- us being spiritual people came to my mind. Uh, there's a, a passage elsewhere. Um, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, but I I could be getting that wrong, um, where, uh, where Paul talks about you who are spiritual, restore those who sin, right? Like he's talking to these people who thinks that, think that they're spiritually mature, and he's like, well, if you're going to be spiritually mature, then you need to forgive one another. And I started thinking about that idea of spiritual people. What does that mean to be spiritual people? And that really kind of coincides, interestingly, with the fact that this is Pentecost Sunday, um, it wasn't really on my mind, to be honest with you. The church calendar isn't really a big deal to me. Uh, it's not in the scriptures. It can be helpful sometimes. We do Christmas, we do Easter, but otherwise I'm not much of a church calendar guy. Um, I know we've done Advent the last couple of years. We might not do it this year. It's okay. Uh, it's, again, it's not in scripture, right? Uh, we will absolutely uh, be uh, celebrating uh, the, the birth of Christ uh, throughout the year, and we'll probably do that on Christmas, which is on a Sunday this year. Uh, but we might not do the whole Advent thing leading up to it. I don't know. I'm, but I, I'll say this. I am not beholden to the church calendar, uh, and I will not be beholden to the church calendar because it's not in this. Um, and so, but it was interesting, though, because... Uh, I realized after I thought about, hey, what does it mean to be spiritual people, that it was Pentecost Sunday. We think about the gift of the Holy Spirit 
to the, the apostles there in that room, to the, to the disciples who are waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that infilling, that, the gifts that flow from the Holy Spirit, Christ having been seated at the right hand of God the Father and is now giving out the gifts of the Spirit. It's not that the Spirit didn't exist before then. He did. And he indwelt people before then. But at that moment, there was an outpouring of gifts to God's people. Uh, and I started thinking about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit and I, I, I know we could talk about all sorts of different things. Like we could talk about things that we call miracles, right? Those supernatural, flashy, spiritual gifts. We could talk about those things. We could talk about not only those, but uh, spirit, or supernatural abilities to serve. We could talk about that because like some of you guys are like, man, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Well, did you know that administration and helps are spiritual gifts? Did you know that those are gifts given by the Holy Spirit? Those are supernatural gifts. What an incredible thing. But I also was thinking about some of the, the broader gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, which things like assurance, which he gives us. He gives us sanctification. I started thinking about, like, what does it mean to be spiritual people? People who are in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you don't mind pulling that up, Dale. Uh, I, I've got Dale running on the fly. Uh, he is awesome at this stuff, uh, and so just uh, just bear with me because I haven't given him any notes because I don't have but like three notes. Second um, Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. The reality is that we are something different when we are made to be in Christ. God transforms us. We call it regeneration, right? Rebirth. We are a new creation. We are a spiritual creation. That doesn't mean that we don't have flesh and bone. Obviously, we do. But our core nature has changed such that we are spiritual people, more so than the natural person. Romans 6.4 also says that we have a new life. It says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. The reality is that when you are in Christ, you are something else. Something is qualitatively different about you, and it's not just the outworkings. You are a new creature. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that he came that we, he says they, but he's talking about us, may have life and have it more abundantly. What kind of life is Jesus talking about? He's talking about spiritual, eternal life. It is a qualitatively different thing from a natural, fleshly life. And so this morning, we're going to explore Romans 8, 1 through 11. Um, and like I said, I have no notes. I am going to read this passage to you, and I am going to try to preach it to the best of my ability, praying that God will give me the words to say that you all need to hear today. Um, this makes me feel uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable, we'll all be uncomfortable together. But this is where we are today. Um, and so we're going to uh, read this passage. Why don't you guys stand with me as we read the word of God this morning? 
Again, think of this in terms of being spiritual people. This is one of my favorite passages, or favorite verses, the first one here. We'll read the whole thing. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, we pray that this morning you would reveal to us your word. Lord, I know that your word is sufficient for your people. Lord, we need no more from, from, your, from what you give, Lord God, but your word that we might know you. Lord, I, I pray that we might experience you today, that your Holy Spirit might be present with us. But Lord God, we rely on the sufficiency of your word today. That, Lord, as we look at this passage, you might help us to see what it means to be truly spiritual people. That we might no longer live according to the flesh with our eyes set on the things of the flesh, but that, Lord God, we might set our minds and our eyes on the things of the Spirit, that we might be people of the Spirit. Lord God, I thank you for this. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As I thought about this passage a little bit this morning, I, I realized that this idea of a qualitative difference between life before Christ and life after Christ, this idea of fleshly existence versus spiritual existence, it's kind of like uh, a fish out of water mentality, all right? Like, give, give me just a second to explain that. Uh, if you are a fish and someone pulls you out of the water, you can survive for a little while. But at some point, you need the water back. If we are spiritual people, we cannot exist in the flesh for long. Like, that's just impossible for a Christian to continue in the flesh for long. And so we need to be spiritual people. We need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of the flesh so that we can experience that abundant life that Jesus promises. That abundant life is something that we can experience as we continue to set our eyes on the things of the Spirit. If we have our eyes set on the things of the flesh, what does it say? It is death to us. It's like a fish out of water. You take him out, yeah, he'll, he'll sit there alive for a little while, but eventually he's going to suffocate. He needs that water to live. 
Likewise, we need to set our eyes on the things of the Spirit so that we might live. The first verse here, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Coming off the back of Romans 7, uh, wherein Paul is complaining a bit about his fleshly existence. He recognizes that in the Christian life, there is a tension between the sin that remains in the flesh and the spirit that indwells us. That there is this fight that goes on. And, and he says at the, at the end of chapter 7, he, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's like, I don't know what to do. I feel so conflicted, but I know that Jesus Christ is going to rescue me. And so he then exclaims, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that Paul starts with the gospel in this chapter. Because that's a very short way of saying that Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you would not suffer the wrath of God. What an incredible first verse to start with. But then he moves to application. He starts with the reality and the, un, the unchanging reality of justification. And then he moves to application. He says, okay, now here, let me give you a little bit more detail about the life that you now have in Christ. And he begins to expound upon some things that he had said previously about the law. And so in verse two, he says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is really our, uh, our interaction with the law of God. It's not that the law of God is sin and death in itself. But when we as sinners interact with God's moral law, it is sin and death to us. It even causes us to sin more. Paul said, like, I didn't know what it was to covet until the word of God told me that what it was to covet. And then I coveted more. And so he comes back to this and he says, but wait, the, the law of the spirit of life, that is the power of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from that law of sin and death. What an incredible reality that the spirit of life has set us free in Christ. That has practical ramifications for your life. Seriously, that has practical application. Because what does it say here? You are now free from what? The law of sin and death. So now you no longer have to fear death. Great. I think we all understand that on a basic level when it comes to Christianity. The idea is you get eternal life, right? Everybody's like, where do you go when you die? That's one of the first like, questions that you, you know, a lot of people ask stereotypically, right? We ask these questions. But it says two things. It doesn't just say, set you free from the law of death. It says, set you free from the law of sin and death. What does this mean then? I think that Paul, as he is continuing on his discourse about the law and how it interacts with sinners, he's saying, wait a second. Now, I'm going to reiterate what I've already said. I'm going to say that you are free now from sin you have the ability to do righteousness. You have the ability to live unto God as spiritual people. It's not that 
the, that works get you into heaven. He's saying, no, the reality is you are so different now that you are free from sin. You are unchained. You are no longer slaves to that which once enslaved you. There are, there are people in this room, I think, that need to hear there is deliverance from your addictions, your predilections, things like that, in Christ. Yes, you will struggle. Yes, there may be failures. No, you will not ever be perfect here and now. You will be made perfect in, in the hereafter. But there is deliverance from those things. You will struggle and struggle well against those things because Christ has set you free from sin. You're still going to deal with those things, but you can have victory over it. But we need to set our minds on the things of the spirit. We need to be spiritual people. Verse three says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. It was just sort of reiterating what was going on here. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Again, this is the law of sin and death. That's that interaction of sinners and the law. He says, well, you couldn't ever do it. You couldn't ever live up to the standard that God has presented to you. But he did something that the law couldn't do for you. He sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's look at that for just a moment. Jesus Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He did not come in sinful flesh. He had all the, the, the brokenness that we feel, right? You guys have aches and pains. I have a lot of aches and pains now after my COVID experience. It's, it's weird. Yeah, some of y'all know. You're getting a little bit older. Dale doing backflips out in the, in the backfield half the time. I don't know. I don't think he feels any pain. Um, but... Uh, seriously though, like I, I feel these aches and pains and I, I want you to know that Jesus felt those aches and pains and yet he did not come in sinful flesh. He was tempted as we are yet without sin. And then when he hung on the cross, God condemned the sin that he took on for us. Paul calls this propitiation. Okay. It's the great exchange our sin for his righteousness. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was full of our sin. And so he sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh, tempted as we are, broken as we are in body, but not broken as we are in sin. And he died for us. But it says in verse four, in order. So he says, this is all true. And what that accomplished then was that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You're like, wait a second. I thought Christ fulfilled all righteousness for us. He did. He did. However, there is a sense in which we continue to fulfill righteousness as we walk according to the spirit, according to newness of life. It says, that the righteous requirement of the law is going to be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As you walk according to the spirit, as you walk according to what God has done in your life, the indwelling spirit within you, the, the person of the Godhead who exists in you today, 
not as if you are God's, but as he indwells you. As you walk according to him, then you can fulfill all righteousness. You can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. That means that there's a third use for the law. We talk about this a lot of the time. What's the third use of the law? Well, what's the first two uses of the law, you might be thinking? Well, the first use of the law is to show us our sin, right? We look in the mirror of the law and we see how imperfect and broken we are. The second use of the law is to restrain evil. When people know that some of this stuff is wrong and sometimes they will not do it. But the third use of the law is one that gets derided in certain Christian circles, and we need to make sure that we understand that the third use of the law is how we then live once Christ has saved us. He says that the righteous requirement of the law is going to be fulfilled in us as we walk according to the Spirit. Again, you do not merit your salvation by your works, but you fulfill what God has given in the law as you walk according to the Spirit. I think some of you need to hear this today. We need to be spiritual people to set our eyes on the things of the Spirit, seek to fulfill the law of God toward one another, toward God himself as we move forward as a church family. This is not a social club. We are spiritual people. We are not natural people. We are not natural people. We might look like it, but we're not. We've been transformed. I've quoted this several times, and I'll continue to, to quote. Uh, well, and now I'm going to paraphrase because like, my notes are done. Um, I'm going to paraphrase Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who essentially said that uh, in his estimation... Um, when we try to connect to one another directly, as in a social club or something like that, there's always a sense of power. There's always a sense of this and that, like trying to maintain ownership over the relationship. And like somebody's always got to be a little higher than the other. And there's, even when there's meekness, there's a little bit of resentment and things like that. But he says, no, no, no. In Christ, though, if we relate to one another through Christ, that is, if I'm allowed to paraphrase him like this, if we are spiritual people and we walk in the spirit toward one another, then we can have a true spiritual community. We need to be spiritual people, have our eyes focused on the things of the spirit. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's, that's just a truism, isn't it? If you are a natural person, you will naturally set your eyes on the things of the flesh. The things of the flesh are the things of this world. Take your pick, okay? All the stuff that God made that you can prioritize over him, right? Setting your eyes on the goals of career, of family. Like, yeah, you can even have family goals that are bad for you, that can become idols, Set your eyes on the things of this world like the next new car, the next place to, to live, the next nicer house, the house improvements that you want to do. I know that my wife and I want to do some house improvements in the near future. We want to do that. But I, like, I, again, I have to be careful. Like, is that my priority? 
Like, and I have to ask myself these questions, and I think you all need to ask these questions. When you begin to do things, why am I doing this? Do I have God as my priority? Am I trying to do something that's sinful? Do I have my mind set on the things of the flesh? It doesn't have to be a 30-minute introspection session where you close the door, turn off all the lights, and think deeply. But ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Are my eyes set on Christ, or are they set on something else? The people who set their minds on the things of the flesh walk according to the flesh and live according to the flesh. Paul said in Romans 7, again, it's the same mentality. The flesh is death. The flesh is weak. This, if we're going to draw distinctions, the, the spirit is where we've been regenerated. Things are new. We are different. But the flesh is where sin continues to indwell. We're not talking about just like the physical stuff here. Paul's making like a, a philosophical uh, existential sort of argument here between flesh and spirit. He's saying you have been made new in your spirit. Fight the flesh. I know that in my own life, I sometimes get wrapped up in the doing of things rather than the why. Um, you know, I, I, I'll admit that Sometimes when, when we're playing music up here, I'm more worried about the doing of it than I am the worshiping of it. Am I allowed to confess that in front of you this morning? Can somebody tell me it's okay? Will you forgive me? Um, that's just reality. Like, I, I want to be real. Like, sometimes I am so wrapped up in trying to make sure that things are smooth that I take my eyes off of Christ and everything goes wrong. <laughs> what's, what, I mean, that's what happens, all right? When I have my eyes on Christ, everything is kind of okay. Even when it goes wrong, it's kind of okay. Y'all know this. Y'all might know it better than me. Like I, I try to take control of stuff, and I shouldn't. Sometimes I need to go like, hey, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to set everything up the best way that I possibly can but, because I want to do honor to God. But like when it comes to the moment, like maybe I need to just remember why. I set all that stuff up to make it work well. It wasn't because I just want it to work well. It was because my mind was on Christ and I want to honor him. But then in the doing, sometimes it gets distracting. I need to set my mind on the things of the spirit. In verse six again, it says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What a dichotomy. What a... What a chasm between these two things, right? He says, on one side of this, of this valley is death. On one side of this, this is all the flesh. This is when you have your eyes off of anything but Christ. When you are thinking about all the other stuff and you're worried about the things of this world and you're tempted by sin and even participating in sin and you're easing over to that side, that is death to you. That's like a fish approaching the, the top of the water and trying to float on top. Eventually he's going to float on top permanently, isn't he? That's not okay, right? It's death. It's death to set your eyes on the things of the flesh. But he says that not only on the other side of the, of the canyon, the other side of the chasm that lies between the flesh and the spirit, on the other side is not only life. Again, we sort of assume life a lot of the time. But he says life and peace. 
All right, two things that come to mind when I think about this. Life. It's that abundant life. It is a joyful life. He says life and peace. There's this quality about the life on the other side of that chasm between flesh and spirit that is an incredible blessing. There is peace there. There is trouble in this world. Mark 13 is all about trouble. If, if you all, all want to read ahead, I'd appreciate that. Mark 13 is full of trouble. It's about tribulations, talking about the end times, right? There's a little bit of end times. There's a little bit of immediate fulfillment, but it's, it's all sort of the tribulational periods of life, okay? I'm not just talking about some like magical seven-year period, okay? I'm talking about the tri- tribulations of the church age that we will all experience to one degree or another. That is filled with all sorts of trouble. And if you set your eyes on the things of the flesh, you will experience those things to an insanely greater degree because everything that you cared about will be stripped from you in those moments. In those terrible times that will come in our lives, those times, everything will be stripped away and there will be death at the end of that if you're set on the, the things of the flesh. But on the, if your mind is set on the things of the spirit, all the things of this world are small in comparison. You experience peace and joy on the other side of that if your eyes are set on the things of the Spirit. Life and peace. It's abundant life. It's eternal life. It's joyful life. It's life together, united in Christ. It's truly community life. Like, we can live in all sorts of other communities, but there is something special about the community of the church, and that is something we get by being spiritual people. If we become fleshly-minded Christians, then guess what? You start falling out of that, that like practical communion that we have here. It's not that you start falling away from Christ. Christ will draw you back if, he, if you're his. No doubt of that. But I don't, I, I don't want you to go over there and end up walking away from the faith either. There's this balance to be had in my Calvinism, I promise. I believe that there is apostasy. People will walk away, and I don't want... Practically speaking, I don't want that, that to happen for you. I don't want you to feel like everything's been stripped from me in these difficult times and then when you could be spiritually minded. May, ultimately, uh, I'm just going to take a digression because I can. I don't have notes. This could be two hours long. You all never know. If you need to go take a lunch break, you can. Um, you might be setting your uh, stomach on the things of the flesh at that point. I don't know. Um, I, I want to say this: when there are warnings, uh, when I when I would say when I issue warnings about uh, apostasy, right, about losing salvation and things like that, I want to be clear that there is no such thing as a license to sin, and that those times where I say, "Hey, don't walk away," that is God's word to you, saying, "Don't walk away." That's God's grace to you, saying, "Don't walk away." I believe that God uses means to retain us and to cause us to persevere, okay? So when you say, like, well, when somebody says, well, like, I'm just going to walk away from the, from the faith, then that's, that's in the face of, of a lot of these things that God has given us. But for those who are his, they will hear his voice when he says, come to me, and they will respond. And so uh, if, if I issue these sorts of, uh, of warnings, and the scriptures do, 
issue these kinds of warnings. Take them seriously. Do not walk away. And I know that God's people, God's elect, will always hear that message and they will come to him. But that's for another sermon. Verse 7 of this chapter says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, verse 8, cannot please God. This is the reality that we, that we live with as spiritual people. If we start setting our minds on the things of the flesh, we cannot please God in those moments. If we are set on the flesh, we are hostile to God. We do not submit to his law. That's an interesting bit of, uh, 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 of scripture right there. It says, uh, the, the mind that is set on the flesh in verse 7 is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Again, third use of the law, right? How do we know that we love God? We do his commandments. That's scripture, all right? I've forgotten where the... Uh, where the reference is. I'm bad at this stuff sometimes. But I promise it's in there. You can go look it up. Go Google that thing. The ultimate reality is that we, if we start setting our minds on the things, things of the flesh, then we will not submit to God's law. We will not be in obedience to him. We will not be righteous as he calls us to be righteous. And we cannot please him as we distance ourselves from him. We cannot please him if we distance ourselves from him. And then verse 9 is really what I want you to hear today as a church. I want you to hear this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You, however, are not in the flesh. So yes, at times you may take your mind and you may focus on the wrong stuff. It's possible. But Paul and I, using Paul's words, would like to remind you who you are. You are people of the Spirit. Each and every one of you. I know you. You are people of the the Spirit. If you begin to live according to the flesh, then there is something dangerously wrong. You are people of the Spirit. You are not in the flesh. It says, again in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Just because you don't have all the stuff that you want, you don't have all the health that you want, doesn't mean that everything is going wrong. Paul says it right here. Although the body is dead because of sin, he's not just talking about some sort of philosophical flesh now. He's talking about though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You get to experience greater degrees of life as you walk according to God's law in obedience. You might think that all the stuff out there in this world is tempting and that you want this and that and the other thing, and those become your goals. But you need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Put your eyes on Christ. You are not people of the flesh. Why do you act like it sometimes? I know I do. 
I'm not excluding myself from this. And maybe this sermon is only for me, but I need to be reminded that sometimes I take my eyes off of Christ and I begin to falter. I begin to think about how good things might be if I just did all the stuff the world says is good to do. I'm tempted at times. The body is dead because of sin. If I go that direction, I know there is only death. But if I put my eyes on Christ and I prioritize the right things, I put the first things first, I put my relationship with God first, I put prayer first, I put reading his word first, I put community first, I put all of these things that God has put in clear priority order in, my, in his law even, right? First relationship with God, then relationship with others. Everything else falls into place after that. If that goes sideways, if it gets inverted, or other things get stacked on top, you are not walking according to the spirit. You are walking according to the flesh. And maybe I need to be reminded of that sometimes. Because the stuff of this world is tempting, isn't it? Like, they want to sell you all sorts of stuff. They want to sell you absolute and utter joy. They do. They want to sell that to you. I'm not saying they can give it to you. I'm saying they want to sell it to you. I can sell you anything if I find the right button to push. The world wants to sell you all this other stuff that's out there. And they promise you incredible joy. But the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, who promised to come again and will come again. And by the way, Mark 13 shows us that Jesus' prophetic powers move beyond just the context of Scripture. We don't have to just look at Scripture for the fulfillment of his prophecies. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. You remember last week? Jesus prophesied in Mark 13, 1 and 2, that no stone would be left unturned. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. After most of scripture was written, he who promised that very thing and promised that he would be raised from the, the grave three days after he died, that same one promises you joy and peace forevermore if you set your mind on the things of the spirit. This other stuff doesn't matter. Set it aside, put it away. Let it become secondary. See it as the stuff that God has provided you graciously to use, yes, but put him first. Put other people second. Love of God, love of neighbor, right? We just went through this. Everything else after that. That's being spiritual people. It's to love God, love your neighbor, with your eyes set on Christ, pleasing the one who has saved you. Put your eyes there. And he, then he issues a promise at the end of this passage. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, life and peace here and now as you obey. And then Paul takes you one more and he says, guess what? There's more to this. He is going to raise your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you today, and he does if you are in Christ, right? If you trust in Jesus Christ, have every 
expectation that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because <laughs> you cannot believe without regeneration. Holy Spirit is in you today. And if he is, then the promise is there. The promise is there. He will raise you at the last day. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about eternal life, what it's going to be like in the new, new heavens and the new earth. As if you needed more than just peace in the midst of tribulation. As if you needed more than just joy. As if you needed more than true community. As if you needed more than good family relationships. As if you needed more than all of these wonderful things that God has given you. As if you needed more, he gives you more. He says, you get eternal life. You get to see God. What an incredible gift. In our glorified bodies, we will see God. In what way? I'm not sure because beholding his unveiled glory seems like a terrible thing for my health. But, <laughs> but I don't, I, I, some people would say that we will see him in Christ. Right? We'll see the bodily Christ and we will see God in Christ. Clearly. I don't know. But I know that I will see him. I know that I will be able to sit there and ask all the crazy questions that I want. I'm going to hang out with all of you. I'm going to recognize you all. And you're going to be like, man, you lost some weight. I'm going to be like, yeah, check out my six pack. We get eternal life. Why then are we so tempted by the things of this world? We have everything we need if we are setting our minds on the things of the spirit. We have everything that we need. Why would we look over at this other stuff that we know is false? It's all passing away. Jesus says again in Mark 13, because it's fresh in my mind. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. His promises will never pass away. The things of this world will pass away. The promises are false. They will never last. You might experience temporary happiness. Yes, I get it. It's over there. But guess what? Eternal joy is on the other side. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? And I'll try to close here. The things of the Spirit are what God has said in his word, relationship with him, walking according to his law, walking according to the grace that you've been given. The things of the Spirit are a relationship with God and a relationship with fellow man through Christ. These are the things of the Spirit. They're eternally minded things. Dale and I love, the, love that term. Eternally minded things. Put your mind on the things of the Spirit. As we move forward as a church, we need this more than anything else. We need to be spiritually minded people. We can't survive as a church without being spiritually minded people. We could have all the money in the world and all the stuff in the world, and we might not be a church anymore. But if we have just spiritual people united around the finished work of Jesus Christ, who came to die for sinners, and who, if you have faith in him, is your savior, if we gather around him, then we have a church. We've always had a church. Dale likes to remind me of this. It's not about the stuff. It's not about how well we can do things. It's about this people. 
gathered here around the finished work of Jesus Christ. We need that. We need to be spiritually minded people, spiritual people. In a, uh, in a few weeks, three, four weeks, uh, we, will be, we will not be here anymore in this space. We, uh, we were approved to go to Mechanicsville High School um, on July, was it three? Something like that. So it's, you know, it's gonna be great. We're gonna set up with three people and we're gonna have three people in service because it's a holiday weekend. But that's okay. Um, it'll be a good dry run. Um, we're gonna have church. We're gonna have church there as much as we've had church here, as much as we had church in my living room uh, a while back, and as much as we had church in the, uh, in the, the hotel uh, for a little while. Like, we're gonna have church. You know why? Because we're spiritual people united in Christ. It doesn't matter all the other stuff. We want to do things well. We're going to do things well. If, I mean, it's within us, right? We, like, it's part of our ethos, right? We want to do things excellently. But you have to take the base level and go like, well, at the very least, we're going to have a church. All the other stuff is just stuff. It's all outworking. But as we move forward, we can't forget like if we buy more equipment and there's 20 people on the setup team and there's 15 people uh, doing connection and there's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what these numbers are. But if there's that many people running around doing all sorts of stuff, we can't forget it. We have to be spiritually people, spiritually minded people. We have to be spiritual people who have our eyes set on those things of the spirit. Um, I hope that this sermon such as it is, uh, has been helpful to at least one of you today. Um, I, I, want, I want the word of God to bear weight on your heart. Where have you set your eyes on the things of the flesh? Cut it out. Be ruthless. As always, John Owen says, always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Go kill the sin. There's stuff that's better on the other side. Life and peace forevermore. Be spiritually minded people. And I think that, I know that God will bless that. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.